The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language. It's a bit different, but it's also becoming normal. Well, it's Sunday the 5th of April 2020 and Prime Minister Scott Morrison has been continuing to invoke the Australian spirit, whatever the fuck that is. Many countries in the months ahead and perhaps beyond that may well see their economies collapse. Some may see them hollow out. In the very worst of circumstances, we could see countries themselves fall into chaos. This will not be Australia. We will get Australians through this with uniquely Australian solutions to deal with the unique Australian challenges we face here, using our Australian systems to address these challenges, but built most importantly of all on our values and principles as Australians. Hello, I'm still Gary, and uh, this is the 9pm His Plague Diary, episode four. For me, it's day 19 of the quarantines. A lot of you, like me, were already working from home, maybe for years. Maybe you thought, yep, I've got this. So how are you doing now? How are you really doing? This week, I made a mental transition of sorts, and it was tougher than I was expecting. I mean, I thought, yep, I've got this. After all, most of the time, I live a kilometre and a half from a village that's 100 kilometres west of Sydney. I don't leave home that much. I'm here by myself most of the time. And I thought, well, no one visits anyway. I've got this. I was wrong. The key difference, of course, is choice, control. In the before times, uh, we could go shopping when we liked, go to the pub or a cafe whenever we liked. We could work from wherever we liked, or at least I could, and many of you could. Well, now that's all gone. Okay, okay, I can shop when I like, but I'm way, way more conscious that that's got to happen when I need it to happen, not because I can bundle together a bunch of reasons to get out of the house and go to Katoomba or Sydney or wherever and do some errands while I'm there. It's different. The other main difference is that apart from simple survival, all those usual reasons to get out and about have vanished. No meetings to go to, no drinks or dinners with friends. Uh, For those of you with kids, no errands with them, or at least a lot fewer. And of course, now they're at home with you while you're trying to get your goddamn work done. And will those little cunts just shut the fuck up? For those of you with a life... uh, you know, i.e. without kids, uh, there's no concerts, no theatres, no films, no sport, no strip shows, no brothels, and no penguin wrestling. It is different, and in a thousand subtle ways. For me, that meant that the last week was pretty depressing, proper depression, not just the sads. Uh, My brain, as you may know, is one of those where the black dog takes up residence quite frequently. I am, in every sense of the word, a kennel, So I didn't get much done as far as work goes. This podcast really is is about it. That's what I've achieved. I'm hoping uh, this will all change next week. I think it will. But how are you doing now? How are you really doing? And who have you been talking with about that? Politics. Uh, It's something I wanted to steer clear of in this podcast series, (laughs) series, okay, 
two for this bunch of podcasts. Now, there's plenty of people who are analysing what's happening with politics, probably way too many. There's probably too much emphasis on the horse race politics of the Prime Minister's tone and all of that stuff. Um, but I noticed a couple of things since last time we were together. The bit at the front of the pod was from a press conference held about six months ago, or as we used to call it in the before times, Monday. Here's another bit. Listen to how Morrison, who is, of course, Australia's great orator, is kind of realising that this whole new world is, yeah, a different thing and that he needs to start thinking differently. We are living in unprecedented times. With the twin battles that we face and that we fight against a virus and against the economic ruin that it can threaten. This calls for unprecedented action. Governments making decisions like they never have before. And today our government has made a decision today and that I announced today that no government has made before in Australia in response to crises such as these. And I hope and pray they never have to again. The economic dry Scott Morrison has become the biggest spending Prime Minister in Australian history. Well, in living memory, I should probably fact check that because there were also a couple of world wars last century and they clocked up the bills a bit. But Morrison's framing there makes it clear to me that he's trying to sell this change of thought to his own base more than anyone else. Uh, and yet at the same time, they're the ones who are going to benefit from JobKeeper wage subsidies and free childcare and all of the rest of the stuff you already know about. And yet I noticed, and yet... He still can't say any of this without boasting about the strength of the economy, which it isn't, but that's the myth he has to cling to. In the past, on so many occasions, they couldn't. But today we can. Today we must. And today we will. We are working now to a whole new set of rules. But it's our principles and values as Australians that will guide us through this uncharted territory and will get us to the other side together. In the past few days, a few people have been talking about what that other side might look like. It may not be be the same. In my view, it won't be the same. It can't be the same. And if we work together, well, it's definitely not going to be the same. We can fix a few things that are broken. And of course, some people, some organisations are shit scared that their current privileged positions will be uh, damaged. But I'll come back to that. One last thing about Scott Morrison before I move on. Uh, the other day, some people got all worked up because he'd recorded a prayer. I would ask that people pray. Um, thank you for your prayers, but pray for all Australians everywhere, everyone affected by this. People are going through the deepest of heartache. Pray for the premiers and chief ministers. They've joined me in a national cabinet, which is unprecedented in Australia. There are decisions we're taking now, which is extend support as far and wide as we can, but we have to get it right. It has to work. It is a moment like when Moses looked out at the sea and uh, held up his staff and they went. There are moments of great faith in all of this. 
Um, but as a Prime Minister, I have to um, take my decisions on the basis of very strong advice and, and exercise the best judgment I possibly can. And, and uh, my faith gives me a, an enormous encouragement in how I can make those decisions and, uh, and try and do that in the best way I, I can. I pray that we'll be a restorer of streets with people in them, businesses open again, Australians going about their lives again, returning to their jobs, returning to their livelihoods, returning to normal times in their schools so our children can learn and that we can get to the other side of this. As people without brain worms uh, have noticed, it's pretty clear that Morrison uses the words we pray in the context of the people he's praying with, we as a church, his church. And what on earth is wrong with him praying with his community? Okay, you may not like the Evangelical Hillsong Church and what it represents. I don't either. I think it's wrong in so many ways, but that's another issue. People find comfort in faith or manners of faith. And as I've said many times before, if you find that you can understand the world better through the framework of religion, particularly in matters of life and death and hope, well, good And if you think that someone praying with their community is somehow a problem, no, you're the problem. Speaking of problems, the United States of America, yes, America, uh, one of the two problems in the last two weeks is that just as I first connect in the morning to the Twitters, Donald Trump is doing his daily press briefing. Now, I don't watch them because I don't have brainworms, but I see the tweets. These briefings are going for longer and longer, and Trump is becoming more and more deranged. That's a worry. But at least Trump is now acknowledging the reality. A lot of death, unfortunately, but a lot less death death than if this wasn't done, but there will be death. Now, this is a, a big change because on the 20th of February, that's just 40 days ago, the director of the United States National Economic Council, a guy called Larry Kudlow, had said that the con- con- coronavirus was contained. And on that same day, Trump's campaign spokesperson made an even bolder claim. Looking at the coronavirus and the president saying, you know, look, we're not going to take people in from China right now. I mean, isn't it just a matter of protecting us, our national security really being at stake? And he's sort of the last line of defense there, or first line, I should say. Absolutely. This president will always put America first. He will always protect American citizens. We will not see diseases like the coronavirus come here. We will not see terrorism come here. And isn't that refreshing when contrasting it with the awful presidency of President Obama? Kaylee McEnany, thank you so much. Good to see you tonight. Thank you. Yeah, somehow it's it's always Barack Obama's fault, including the tests for coronavirus itself. It seems that a lot of people, because now we have tests that really work well, Abbott, in this case, Abbott, we have other tests being developed right now that are also fantastic. The original tests, the ones we inherited, Jim, as an example, they were they were broken. They were obsolete. They were not good tests. And that's what we got stuck with. Uh, we've developed some incredible tests, but this took 13 to 15 minutes and they were all uh, fine. Yeah, somehow Barack Obama had failed to uh, to construct a test for a virus no one knew existed. Trump has also uh, been saying some remarkably irresponsible stuff about hydrochloroquine, which is uh, um, an anti-malarial drug that maybe might be relevant, but Trump reckons, yeah, go for it. And I say it, what do you have to lose? I'll say it again, what do you have to lose? 
take it. I really think they should take it. But it's their choice, and it's their doctor's choice or the doctors in the hospital. But hydroxychloroquine, try it if you'd like. Sure. And maybe like those two people who've died already, you'll die. Those grabs, by the way, from Trump's uh, presses were gathered by a journalist at Vox.com called Aaron Rupar. And you can follow him on Twitter to avoid the craziness. He's at A-T-R-U-P-A-R, at at Rupar. Although I should say, I think the at shouldn't be pronounced because that's just the thing that indicates it's, it's, it's a handle. Also from Twitter, you may want to follow Bad Medical Takes, uh, which is what it says on the tin. And they tweeted the other day a tweet. uh, Well, it's a story more from uh, The Independent in the UK quoting Goop's best and brightest. You might remember Goop is that strange online magazine slash shop uh, created by Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, she of steaming your vagina fame and also uh, vagina uh, flavoured, vagina scented candles. Uh, It's not clear whether they created the scent before or after the steaming. Uh, But that quotes uh, a writer at Goop saying, I don't believe in germ-based contagion. I just don't believe in it anymore. I'm kind of liberated from it. It's not a conceptual framework I operate from. In the United States now, there are more than 20,000 new confirmed cases every day. But don't worry, Jared Kushner's in charge. Here's his plan. Uh, What the president asked is that all of the recommendations that we make be based on data. He wanted us to be very rigorous to make sure that we were studying the data, collecting data. A lot of things in this country were happening very quickly, and we wanted to make sure that we were trying to keep updating our models and making sure that we were making informed decisions and informed recommendations to him based on the data that we were able to collect and put together. Uh, The president wanted to make sure that we had the best people doing the best jobs and making sure that we had the right people focused on all the things that needed to happen to make sure that we can deliver in these unusual times for the American people. The president also instructed me to make sure that I break down every barrier needed to make sure that the teams can succeed. This is a, an effort where the government is doing things that the government doesn't normally do, where we're stretching, we're, we're, we're acting very quickly, and uh, the president wants to make sure that the White House is fully behind the different people running the different lines of effort to make sure that we get everything done in a speed that the president demands. Now, young Mr. Kushner, uh, who I wish to say I'm sure would be a really dud route, is so behind the idea of everyone working together that he said this. And you have in- instances where in cities they're running out, but the state still has a stockpile. And the notion of the federal stockpile was it's supposed to be our stockpile. It's not supposed to be state stockpiles that they then use. So we're encouraging the states to make sure that they're assessing the needs, they're getting the data from their local uh, s- local uh, situations and then trying to fill it with the supplies that we've given them. Vanity Fair has been doing some really good reporting on what's happening in the United States. You may remember that the coronavirus uh, response uh, was originally being run by the vice president, Mike Pence, but uh, for some reason Jared Kushner is now in charge. Vanity, uh, Vanity Fair say that in a White House meeting, Kushner told 
people that Cuomo, the, uh, the governor of New York, was being an alarmist. And this is supposedly a quote from Kushner. I have all this data about intensive care unit capacity. I'm doing my own projections and I've gotten a lot smarter about this. New York doesn't need all the ventilators. On a, another note... You may have seen the story of uh, the USS uh, Theodore Roosevelt, one of the aircraft carriers, uh, where the captain had begged for his crew to be allowed to go to shore. Now, what had happened is that these ships had been told to stay at sea so they couldn't get infected. But on the Roosevelt, 144 sailors at one point had tested positive for COVID-19. The disease was spreading on the ship. The ship was docked in Guam uh, for more than a week while the entire crew was uh, tested. Uh, The captain, Brett Crozier, he pleaded with the Pentagon or with Naval Command to say, can we just evacuate all but 10% of the crew who could then keep the ship going? He was saying it was impossible to properly isolate and quarantine the sailors to stop the outbreak. We are not at war, he wrote in the letter. Sailors do not need to die. If we do not act now, we are failing properly to take care of our most trusted asset, our sailors. Well, guess what happened next? The captain of an aircraft carrier struggling with a coronavirus outbreak has been relieved from command after a letter he penned pleading for help leaked to the media. Captain Brett Crozier was relieved from command of the USS Theodore Roosevelt, acting Navy Secretary Thomas Modley announced on Thursday. Crozier wrote a letter to Navy leaders that was obtained and published by the San Francisco Chronicle on Tuesday, in which he warned of dire consequences if most of the sailors on Roosevelt aren't evacuated. And then... A video came out. As Captain Crozier left the ship, his crew started cheering for him. More than 120,000 people have signed a petition calling on the US Navy to reinstate him to his job. Yeah, all manner of things are going to be different in the aftertimes. And as I hinted before, some people don't like what they see coming. Tom Switzer, for example, is worried that we'll have a compassion arms race. No, I kid you not, his column this week has the headline, Our liberty and prosperity are in peril if COVID-19 triggers an arms race of compassion. Now, I think what he means, because I'm not going to read the cunt, I think what he means is that as countries try to compete with each other somehow to to help support their their citizens that will spend too much money and that will of course affect prosperity which is a thing that he has it's certainly not a thing that I have and somehow that'll affect our liberty Tom Switzer is uh, the executive director of an organisation that many Australians will be familiar with, the Institute for Public Affairs, the IPA. Now, officially, it calls itself a think tank promoting free market ideas and such. 
But uh, what is it really? Well, look, back in 2001, Barrister Stuart Littlemore described it on ABC TV like this. The right-wing propaganda organisation that is pleased to call itself the Institute of Public Affairs. Our aim is to promote an understanding and appreciation of the free society and free enterprise. Gosh, almost said free world there. And in so doing, to advance the interests of the Australian people. As determined by their betters, us. In short, the IPA is liberal, with a small L, in outlook. That's Rupert Murdoch's description of himself, too. Rupert's one of the obscenely rich people behind the IPA. Market-oriented in its approach and seeks to promote general interests rather than sectional ones. Generally vested interests, but I'll come to those. The names on the IPA's board are harbingers of its message. John B. Prescott, Horizon Equity. Late of BHP. Harold and William Clough. West Australian Newspapers. Rio Tinto Limited. BHP Limited. Western Mining Corporation. The Shell Company of Australia Limited. AMP Limited. Philip Morris Australia. Casino owners are well represented along with the miners, tobacconists and moneylenders. And of course in uh, recent years it's Gina Reinhart, a great funder of uh, the coalition government and uh, mining magnate uh, providing a good solid proportion of the IPA's income. That whole little more piece is amusing actually because it shows how the IPA hymn sheet has been the same uh, for at least 19 years that's how long ago that was that was written uh, and longer before and of course the IPA is solidly behind Trump and his approach uh, to the coronavirus here's a grab from something called the young IPA podcast Trump's exactly right in a sense because uh, people are dying because of what China's done. People in Australia, people in America, people are dying because of that. I would say he shouldn't be calling it China virus. He should be calling it the communist virus because this only happened because of communism. People have to remember that. The, the, what's it called? The Little Black Book estimated 100 million people died because of communism in the 20th century or whatever it is. You have to add these deaths to that number because the only reason this, this never would have happened... Ooh, not my microphone again. This never would have happened in a liberal democracy. Uh, they never would have lied about it. Never would have happened to the same extent. People are lying. Our economy is getting wrecked. People are losing their jobs. People are losing their homes. People are dying because of communism. The IPA's uh, manager of audio and online content, by the way, is one James Bolt, the son of far-right polemicist and convicted racist Andrew Bolt. You may know him from the Daily Telegraph. You may know him from Sky News. Another IPA person, Gideon C. Rosner, love it, he put a short video up explaining... I, put, I should put explaining in quotes, explaining why the efforts of state and federal governments to control the health crisis are creating much bigger economic and humanitarian crises. We must begin to end this lockdown now. I'll play you the whole thing. It's only a minute and a half, but try to follow the logic and especially keep your eyes open for concrete facts. The coronavirus outbreak is a serious public health issue and we were right to take action early on to contain the spread. The time to start ending this lockdown is now. 
that our response to the coronavirus outbreak has decimated our society, ruined thousands of lives, turned Australia into a police state, and worst of all, put hundreds of thousands of Australians out of work. Many, many more will join them. More and more Australians will miss out on the dignity of work, the hope and opportunity and meaning that comes from a thriving economy, a vibrant society. More and more Australians will be thrown into loneliness, isolation, and worst of all, the total absence of hope. So it's time to start ending this lockdown. It's time that state and federal governments came up with a plan on how to end this lockdown and then told us what it is. It's time to start returning to normal. It's time we were allowed to start rebuilding our lives and rebuilding Australia. It's time these restrictions were eased. It's time to allow for the sensible reopening of churches, restaurants, cafes, bars, community sport. Do it safely with appropriate social distancing measures in place. But do it, not in six months, not in one month, now. Because Australians were not meant to live like this and we cannot allow this to go on any longer. Enough is enough. It is time to begin to end this lockdown now. <coughs> Thank you, Gideon. Our friends at the IPA, or rather I should say our fetal mouthpieces for the far-right uh, industry players at the RPA, must be terribly worried about the kind of thoughts coming out this week at the Financial Times. Now, the Financial Times is, of course, one of the greatest uh, financial and economic newspapers in the world, possibly the top one. It published a remarkable editorial this week. This is from the editorial board. It's worth reading the whole thing. And as usual, there's all these links on the podcast website. You know that. But uh, here's one paragraph from it. Radical reforms will need to be put on the table. That includes reversing the prevailing policy directions of the last four decades. Governments will have to accept a more active role in the economy. They must see public services as investments rather than liabilities and look for ways to make labour markets less insecure. Redistribution will again be on the agenda, the privileges of the elderly and wealthy in question. Policies until recently considered eccentric, such as basic income and wealth taxes, will have to be in the mix. That, as I say, is from that hotbed of uh, communism and revolutionary thought, the Financial Times. There's been all sorts of thoughts along these lines uh, as countries roll out their support packages. Uh, on Twitter, someone noticed that uh, Germany certainly wasn't fucking around, as they put it, with the emergency fund for freelancers. The applications went live on Friday... That's last Friday, nine days ago. And already the 5,000 euro grants have appeared in people's bank accounts. Although, as uh, Jordan DeFazio noted, because they know the consequences of a frustrated painter choosing a new occupation. Gotta love a Hitler joke. Back in Australia now. Look, I won't run through everything that's happened. You're probably across all this. States and territories have closed their borders. You can't be outside without a reasonable excuse. One bloke was done for eating a, a kebab while sitting on a park bench because he'd you know, taken a break from his exercise but was no longer exercising. Uh, 
our Indigenous friends have, of course, known that bullshit for years. Uh, Victoria had to change that reasonable excuse list to include that it was okay to visit someone with whom you have an intimate relationship. I'm wondering whether that sorts out the brothel and other sex worker problem to say, yes, I'm on my way to see someone with whom I have an intimate relationship, or at least it will be an intimate relationship once I get there. Um, the lockout does, lockdown rather, does seem to have been working quite well. The ABC, ABC News in Australia, has some great charts, again, links in the, the website. Uh, they note that city after city has fallen silent uh, around the world as, as people are told to stay the fuck inside. Uh the, the kind of figures we're talking about, though, is that in Australia, uh, the number of people visiting retail and, and recreational places is down 45%. The number of people visiting grocery stores and pharmacies is down 19%. This is all data from Google, who, as you know, of course, track you through your phones. Visiting parks, down 35%. Visiting transit stations, down 58%. Uh, visiting workplaces down 33%. And there has been an increase in residential up 13% because, of course, you know, people were at home anyway. Uh, there's also pedestrian counters through the city of Melbourne. I mean, people have these, but uh, cities have these rather, but but uh, Melbourne has, has released the data. Normally at 6 p.m. Uh, on a Thursday night, there are 170,000 people in the city of Melbourne, uh, but averaged for the past four weeks, that's in fact now only 118,000, down from 170 to down to 118. Uh, and then looking at the last Thursday, Thursday, April the 2nd, that's well below 20K. And in fact, the peak people in the city. The city of Melbourne was only 19,760 by these counters. That's, what, down to 15% or something of the whole thing. Um, I won't go through much much else, really, about Australia. Uh, I mean, we have seen some phenomenal racism. Uh, look at the, the website for uh, some cunts at a place called Sweet Potato Living who sent a different letter to their... Uh, non-Australian residents basically telling to telling them to fuck off and go home. Classy stuff. Uh, and and internationally, uh, two French doctors were on live television discussing how a potential new treatment against COVID nineteen should first be tested in Africa, uh, where there are no masks, no treatment, and no reanimation. And that would be the same way that experimental treatment for AIDS was done on prostitutes. The French. Uh, Australia's um, lockdown, though, I do want to say one thing is, I mean, people have said it's a police state, and yes, there's lots to be concerned about, and Tom Switzer's thing before did actually make some of those points, apart from him being sort of, how dare we be compassionate. Uh, in southwest India, uh, the state called uh, Kanataka, which... Uh, the capital of that state is Bengaluru, formerly Bangalore, uh, which is known as, quote, a high-tech hub known for its shopping and nightlife. That's from Wikipedia. They are actually making it compulsory for people who are under an order of home quarantine, not just social, isol social isolation generally, but when they're 
under quarantine for whatever reason, they must send the government a selfie every hour. They, the selfie or photo must contain GPS coordinates, and it's every hour from uh, 7 a.m. to 10 p.m., and then the government team will reach such defaulters and they are liable to be shifted to government-created mass quarantine. And they've even made an app. So that can all be uh, control. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, there is, of course, uh, continuing conspiracies about this. Uh, you may know that there is a clap for our carers thing happening, uh, which began in the UK, is my understanding. Well, now it's been revealed by random people on the Book of Faces. The clapping is actually something the government set up to cover the construction work to set up the 5G network. No, I, I kid you not. According to this post, every week, they need to test the 5G, but that lets off a really loud buzzing noise for exactly one minute, but all this clapping covers that. So please share this and stop clapping every Thursday in the UK. As for the uh, COVID-19, uh, says someone called Stephen Ramsey on the Book of Faces, I have been told by a very good source that works in the medical industry it looks like it has been created in a lab, but this has not been accepted generally. RT, Russia Today, ran a piece on this too. I suggest that it has all the makings of being mad-made scenario, but I am not a scientist. However, globalists are already using it to their full advantage as we speak. It was though it was planned. Not planned, plain, P-L-A-N-E-D, he says. But we already seen their plans in the last 10 years regarding such an event on their own websites, on the globalist website. As you may know, globalist is code for Jews and the International Jewish Conspiracy and the United Nations. And yeah, just look up Agenda 21 and Agenda 30. Uh, now, of course, the United States uh, has a hospital ship called the Mercy, uh, that arrived at the port of LA, but they're now saying, but it's not being used for COVID-19 patients. Brackets, it is. Uh, and they ask, these people are sick. Are the sick people, in quotes, being taken to Gitmo, Guantanamo Bay? <sighs> no. And something I haven't linked to, but I just remembered, uh, someone actually derailed, hijacked and derailed a train in attempt to damage the ship because... Of these things. And again, Vanity Fair, link on the website, uh, has a wonderful article headed Conservative Voices Are Pumping Out Coronavirus Misinformation on Twitter. Yes, as are uh, all sorts of nation state actors. Meanwhile, in the UK, people are setting fire to uh, 5G facilities uh, because of the link with coronavirus should I say, the, the not linked with coronavirus. There have been fires in masts, uh, at masts in Birmingham, Liverpool, Melling. Uh, Melling is in Merseyside. Uh, and the Cabinet Office uh, Minister, Michael Gove, said it was dangerous nonsense, which it is. Now, you might think that um, if... 5G causing coronavirus was caused by all of the global conspiracy and the lizard people that Prince Charles would not have it, right? Because he's one of them. 
But according to Ray Schofield in Australia, that's bullshit. Prince Charles hasn't got COVID-19. Same as Tom, Ham- Tom Hanks hasn't got it either. It's an illusion by the New World Order to get everyone vaccinated with a liquid chip. The media is lying. It's all part of the cover-up. <clears throat> I am going to mention <laughs> I'm going to mention one non-coronavirus story this time because it really did cheer me up. Uh, Naman Zhu at, uh, at The Guardian ran the wonderful story about Australian astrophysicist uh, Dr. Daniel Reardon uh, who got stuck with magnets up his nose. I, I recommend reading the whole thing because it's a beautiful slow build. But uh, Dr. Reardon uh, uh, was attempting to think, how can I make a device that warns you if you, you're about to touch your face because we're not meant to touch our faces, right? Well, he played around with some magnets to work out how that might work and he had some sort of magnet detector thing. And his idea didn't work because of reasons. Anyway, he says, quote, after scrapping that idea, I was still a bit bored playing with the magnets. It's the same logic as clipping pegs to your ears. I clipped them to my earlobes and then clipped them to my nostrils and things went downhill pretty quickly when I clipped the magnets to my other nostril. So Dr. Reardon said he put two magnets inside his nostrils and two on the outside But then when he removed the magnets from the outside of his nostrils, the two inside zipped in and stuck together. And then he thought, how can I get them out? And he was trying to pull them out, but he says there's a ridge at the bottom of his nose and he couldn't get them past that. It is if you feel inside your nose, that's a thing. And at this point, his partner who works in a hospital was just laughing out loud. And he he struggled for 20 minutes and and then, of course, decided to Google the problem because, of course, that's what you do. And he found an article about an 11-year-old boy who had the same problem. And the solution in that case was more magnets to put on the outside to offset the pull from the ones inside. I will leave you to your own devices to to read what happened after more magnets. After running that story, Namanju got a letter from a bloke called Steve Auburn, allegedly, and said, I'll, I'll read this. You think that an article about someone getting magnets stuck up their nose is the best use of journalistic coverage right now during a global health pandemic with hundreds of thousands of dying, you fucking moron? Why don't you write a story about how the Chinese Communist Party has doomed the world's response to the pandemic due to covering up unimaginable numbers of deaths and infections within China, criminally falsifying data and lying to the world health authorities, suppressing scores of doctors within China that initially tried to warn the world but were reprimanded. How about stories of Chinese propaganda blaming the US for the virus? How about a piece of how Chinese national conglomerates bought huge amounts of medical supplies and personal protective gear? Shame on you. You and your story are pathetic. 
And then a short time later, Steve Auburn realised he needed to add, also your piece on the Ruby Princess is straight up propaganda. The Chinese Communist Party spread the coronavirus all across Australia, either directly or indirectly. You are scum and I will be following up all of your conflating articles and news pieces to hold you to account for bastardising the true narrative of how the global pandemic affects Australia and it was spread. I will hold you to account for your actions. Wow. Good luck, Narvan Jew. You you have an enemy there. But of course we should have other stories than coronavirus. I've said this before, but this is not the only thing happening in the world. It is important, absolutely. But God, we all needed the magnets up the nose story. So sorry, Dr. Reardon. <laughs> I know you look very embarrassed in your photograph there. But, you know, I'll... Are we actually at the point now where where we're running out of coronavirus stories, apart from the daily tickers going up of of how many people have have been infected? Maybe we are. Here's a, a headline from the Huffington Post. So your kid is masturbating while your family isolates. What should you do? Well, my first suggestion is don't watch. Uh, But uh, going on from the Huffington Post story, Some much-needed good news. People are finding new self-care habits in quarantine. The simple joys of cooking, at-home workouts and peaceful video games are giving Canadians small pleasures to look forward to. I, I don't know why this is about Canada. Bad news. This includes kids and teens who have discovered, uh, Finding Nemo or their own personal wiggles. Thomas the Wank Engine, anyone? It's good writing, eh? Whatever you want to call it, masturbation is becoming a pandemic pastime. Social distancing measures mean sex toy sales are through the roof and touch-starved people are getting very handsy. So, it's inevitable that in a health crisis that has millions cooped up at home, some young Canadians will realise that, yes, bodies are marvels, along with becoming very friendly with detachable showerheads, toothbrushes, pillows, and maxing out the family Wi-Fi plan without incognito mode. Ah, here's the Canadian connection. Vancouver-based sexual health educator Marnie Goldenberg told today's parents, so this isn't even the Huff's own story, that she felt for parents who feel stressed about their kids' solo time, as many Canadians never had the conversation with their own parents. It's common to be shamed or told medical myths about masturbation. But masturbation may be what saves your family. There's a, te- there's a sentence, is it? I'll say it again. You can, you can trim it out for your ringtone. Masturbation may be what saves your family. Teens who have sexual partners may also be trying to sneak out to hook up, which puts your family's social distancing at risk. In this case, masturbation should be encouraged as an alternative. As the COVID-19 guidelines from the New York Public Health Department state, you are your own safest sexual partner. I actually linked to that document one or two episodes ago. Well... Thank you, as always, to you for putting up with my oral masturbation, you generous listeners, because you make this possible, this episode. Please, thank you to Errol Cavett, Michael Rowe, Peter Lawler again, but he docked me five bucks from his planned contribution because I'd, quote, ruined the parsnip. 
Don't, don't ask. Don't ask. Uh, also, Peter Leverding and two anonymous contributors. Now, if you'd like to join them, and as I say, you may well have a lot of pressures on you at the moment, so that's fine. I get that. But if you are able to join them, please go to stilgerian.com slash tip, stilgerian.com slash tip. Before I go, though, a glimmer of hope. News out that Bill Gates is funding new factories for five, uh, no, seven, seven potential coronavirus vaccines, even though it'll it'll waste, it says here, but waste, billions of dollars. So basically the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation are setting up seven factories to produce seven different potential coronavirus vaccines based on the research. They will pick the one or two that will then go on to proper manufacturing, meaning that all the money setting up the others will be abandoned. But Bill Gates says that in a situation where the world faces the loss of trillions of dollars to the economy, wasting a few billion to help is worth it. He's got a point. And finally, finally, just in case you missed it, Here's a brief children's book, very brief, written by top-selling author Adam Munsbach, as read by Samuel L. Ja- Samuel J. Jackson. Samuel. Samuel Jackson. Stay the fuck at home. The Rona is spreading. This shit is no joke. It's no time to work or roam. The way you can fight it is simple, my friends. Just stay the fuck at home. Now, technically, I'm not a doctor, but motherfuckers listen when I read a poem. So here I am, Sam fucking Jackson, imploring you, keep your ass at home. If you want things to get back to normal, don't panic. Just use your dome. Wash your hands, stop touching your face, and stay the fuck at home. Motherfucker, it's no time to gamble. Look around. You're not at a casino. Just stay the fuck home as if your name was Trenton Quarantino. Sure, you can still see your friends. Use the motherfucking app on your phone. But unless you just ran out of groceries, please stay the fuck at home. Thank you for doing your part to flatten the curve. Because that shit is steep. And now that you're home, please feel free to go the fuck to sleep. The end. Indeed, that is the end. That's the edict for now. Uh, Please feel free to send me your own thoughts about any of this. Just record a quick bit of audio on your phone and send it through. It's all on the website. Uh, Do include your name or pseudonym and and describe where you're from. That'd be great. So we have some context. I would like to hear more voices in this, and I'm too fucking lazy to to hunt around. Anyway, until next time, I'm still Garyan. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.